Hello and welcome to the My VA Dayton podcast coming to you from Dayton, Ohio. This is the show where we talk with veterans in the Western Ohio region to share their stories and share what's happening at the Dayton VA Medical Center. I'm Scott Lease, your host with co-host Greg Tucker. And we have with us today an Air Force veteran, Mayor Jeffrey Mims Jr. Welcome, Mayor. Welcome. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Yeah, we're very, we're very happy to have you here today. I uh, just want to tell you, everyone a little bit about the mayor. Uh, the mayor took office in 2022 after joining the city commission in January of 2014 with a distinguished history in public service. Mayor Mims was the third district representative for the Ohio School Board and is past president of the Dayton Board of Education after retiring from Dayton Public Schools with more than 35 years of service. For the past 40 years, whether as a teacher, a coach, community volunteer, or president of the Dayton Education Association, Jeffrey Mims has committed to making the city of Dayton and the Dayton Public Schools strong partners in developing a champion city and school district and improving the quality of life for Dayton citizens through education. Additionally, Mayor Mims is a war veteran from Vietnam and a recipient of the Air Force Commendation Medal. Again, welcome, Mayor Mims. Okay, thank you so much. Absolutely. So before we get started, we're going to do what we do with all our guests. We're going to put you to the test. It's time! So we've done a lot of research on you. we got a lot of background information, and we have selected these particular trivia questions just for you. So here's your first question. Are you ready for this challenge? I'm ready. I'm okay, ready. here we go. Before they were the Ohio Players, this theater group was known as what? Would it be A, the Untouchables, B, the Dayton Players, C, the Outsiders, or D, the Buckeyes? A, the Untouchables. The Untouchables, that is correct. And why do you know that? Well, I, I played with them a bit. You know, I'm a drummer myself, and so uh, uh, the, um, the leader of the group, uh, Satch, and, uh, and I played with a group called the uh, Artists of Music, you know, back when I was 16, 17 uh, years old. And uh, they moved on to a better group with the uh, How Untouchables, of course, and then later on the How Players. And now, Mayor, here's your second question. Huffman Prairie is the predecessor to what Dayton landmark? Would it be A, Carillon Historical Park, B, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, C, the Mall of Fit at Fairfield Commons, or D, Peter's Pumpkin Patch? Man, I'm going to say B. Right, the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, that is the correct answer. Good job. So Huffman Prairie, also known as Huffman Prairie Flying Field or Huffman Field, is part of Ohio's Dayton Aviation Heritage National Historic Park. The 84-acre patch of rough pasture near Fairborn is the place where the Wright brothers undertook the difficult and sometimes dangerous task of creating a dependable, fully controllable airplane and training themselves to be pilots. So yeah, what a great, what a great part of Dayton's history. And you weren't around then. So how did you know that? I was thinking Huffman Dam in that location. So I just a guess. Power okay. Deduction. <laughs> All right. Good answer. Okay. So now here's your third and final question. You're doing great so All far. Right. All right. Okay. Your third question is the Air Force has a group of entertainers that tours bases annually. They are known as A, Top Guns, B, Tops in Flight, C, Tops in Blue, or D, The Rolling Airmen. Uh, tops in Blue. Thompson Blue is the correct answer. Yes. Thompson Blue was a touring performance ensemble made up of active duty members of the United States Air Force formed in 1953 originally. For 63 years, Thompson Blues traveled more than 20 countries to perform to more than 120 times each year for airmen and families around the world. Each year, they perform in front of more than 250,000 military personnel and their families, presenting an average of 120 performances at 100 locations worldwide throughout the United States, Canada, Europe, Central America, and the Pacific. And a little bird has told me that, you know, you're an Air Force veteran. You've already said that you're a drummer. 
that you actually had a brush with the tops and blues. Tell us about that. Yes, so a couple of brushes uh, in the, um, I think it was uh, 1967, exactly. Uh, I was in the uh, contest, uh, stationed at McGuire for Air Force Base. I did make it in two categories to the national finals as a drummer and a, a semifinals as a comedian. It's sort of interesting. I played, I did a lot of uh, Bill Cosby type routines as a comedian. So I got to the semifinals in that. I did win the finals as a drum soloist in uh, that particular category. And so did you tour with them? Yes. Yeah, so, no, in, in 67, actually in May of 67, uh, the actual finals were at Wright Path. And so I was having the, the opportunity to come to Dayton for a whole 10 days uh, on almost like a leave. You know, and so it was fun being home, being able to play, being able to sleep in my own bed, and also to play on my own drum set. Nice. So, yeah. You know, that was just a great opportunity. Chance to come home, visit, entertain, and have a great time through the Air Force. Yep. Yeah. Fantastic. They're, they're expense. So it was great. Yeah. So why the drums? Um, I started playing drums uh, actually uh, because of a, a teacher that I had in the fourth grade, Mrs. Miller, who always saw me beating on the desk and the tables, and she encouraged me um, like you would say, sometimes voluntold, you're going to this um, uh, show at the Memorial Hall. And going to the show at the Memorial Hall, then we saw these drummers, which she knew they were there. And so seeing them play and perform, it sort of initiated something with inside of me to want to do, uh, to do that. And so I started taking drum lessons and moving uh, to that particular direction. And really, really began to be a real center part of my life. You know, playing the drums, uh, playing with the American Legion Drum and Bugle Corps, being the leader of the American Legion Drum and Bugle Corps, being uh, one of the key members of the high school band. Uh, way back before it was, um, what do they call it? Way back before they had Drumline. So we were performing there in that particular group as well. And then also with uh, the different bands that I played in uh, as I grew up, uh, the artists and music, sometimes the Imperials, sometimes, again, the... Um, the, um, uh, not the, the untouchables before they moved to that particular place would be in the Howl Players. So it was a really center point in my life. Wow. Uh, you know, you're, you're an entertainer, a comedian. I'm sure that's helped you out in the, in the political arena. Oh, man, I, I can't begin to tell you just how bad it was. I'm, I'm sure it has. And you are a, so you are a fantastic trivia player as well because you got all three answers right so okay. greg tell us what is mayor mims one for playing our game today well mayor mims we have a set of four dayton va industrial strength chip clips designed by nasa's aerospace engineers to keep your chips crisp on your next stellar space journey or wherever you may be traveling in the near future Compliments of the Dayton VA. Okay, well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Okay, we're going to take a quick break now, and when we come back, we'll hear more from our Air Force veteran, Mayor Jeffrey Mims. With the signing of the PACT Act, VA now has a huge list of presumptive conditions attributed to burn pits or other toxins. They also have a new extensive list of locations where they presume these exposures occurred. With regard to presumptive conditions, the list includes brain cancer, gastrointestinal cancer of any type, glioblastoma, head cancer of any type, kidney cancer, lymphatic cancer of any type, lymphoma of any type, melanoma, neck cancer, pancreatic cancer, reproductive cancer of any type, and respiratory cancer of any type. Illnesses that are now presumptive include asthma that was diagnosed after service, chronic bronchitis, COPD, chronic rhinitis, chronic sinusitis, constrictive bronchiolitis or obliterative bronchiolitis, emphysema, granulomatous disease, ILD, pleuritis, pulmonary fibrosis, and sarcoidosis. Locations for presumptive exposure on or after August 2, 1990 include Bahrain, Iraq, Kuwait, Oman, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, 
Somalia, UAE, and the airspace above any of these locations. To find out more information about how the PACT Act affects you and your VA benefits, you can also visit VA's comprehensive website about the PACT Act by visiting va.gov pact, where you'll also be able to apply for VA health care or apply for or submit a supplemental claim for VA disability. Or you can always call VA's information hotline 24-7 at 1-800-698-2411. And we're back with Mayor Jeffrey Mims, an Air Force veteran. So, Mayor, tell us, what led you into local politics? Well, it's uh, sort of interesting because I didn't know I was getting involved in politics. I was a uh, teacher and um, a coach in uh, Dayton Public Schools. And when I started working in the space as a teacher, I got involved with the teachers' union with the sole purpose of trying to find a way to improve the image of teachers. One of the things that I noticed back in the early 70s when I began teaching, and even a little bit before then, was that there seemed to be this, this massive uh, beat-up condemnation of, uh, of those who were educating our young people across the nation. And so getting involved with uh, first our Human Relations Committee, uh, finding ways to work with uh, more and more individuals within the organization itself, uh, being the Dayton Education Association, working in Dayton's first DCA program uh, called the Science Center with the Dayton Board of Education, again, that need began to be um, more and more important. Uh, unknowingly, I was getting uh, recognition from the uh, school board members, from the administration, from other members of the, the teaching ranks in, in Dayton Public Schools. And next thing I know, they were asking me to run for treasurer for the union. So I ran for treasurer for the union after having been a teacher for three years. Uh, I won uh, the election and they kept electing me four times. So then after doing that four times, then they said, well, uh, we, you, you need to be a vice president. So they um, pushed me and run for vice president. I won vice president four times and um, began to make some things happen and working with the administration, uh, working with teachers again and, and focusing a lot on bringing more and more of the teachers and administrators together, addressing real needs of students. And next thing I know, they're, they're, they're pushing me to run for president. Well, absolutely. Anytime so, they find a talent and initiative, they're, they're so, going to latch on to that. So, so I, I was elected six times as president of the Dayton Education Association. And again, it didn't really dawn on me that I was involved in politics until you know, some of my competitors you know, began the campaign and, and say some crazy things like, uh, I was too good of a teacher, I shouldn't be president of the union. So so, <laughs> so, so the issue was, okay, right, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, but uh, working with people, trying to find common ground around the common set of important issues and having influence uh, relative to that and support to make those things happen, uh, again, before you knew it, I was involved in, in that process. So... Uh, after being president of the teacher union six uh, consecutive times, I was then asked by the Ohio Education Association and the NEA to uh, apply for a job as a lobbyist for uh, education. And uh, I was hired as a lobbyist for education and then working in Columbus, working in Washington, D.C. Uh, I found a, a niche, a passion, mm -hmm. having been a, a challenging student sometimes myself in terms of uh, finishing my work, and then feeling it was my responsibility to entertain the class and some finish. Uh, it didn't go over well with teachers, but anyway, so I understood what challenging students did when they finished their work. So the, the aspect of doing that, having young people in the system, myself having a son and a daughter who went to Dayton Public Schools and uh, they both graduated and um, they did better than me and um, they make more money than me. So that's a good thing. So uh, working in that space, it, it became more and more um, uh, easy, if you will, for me to facilitate the gaps between why we should do this and what results we were actually looking for as far as education. We wanted to make sure that our kids had the best set of opportunities that they could get to use those skills to make their contribution to society. And again, so that... I was able to explain those things probably maybe more easily than others. 
So th that moved me to back working then for at-risk youth in a program that uh, was called the NE Casey Foundation, uh, working to get a $20 million grant back in 1988, again, with the school system and the, uh, the organization itself to address the needs of at-risk youth and then running that program for five years and again, finding a great success with having young people have a much better attitude about themselves each time we gave progressive follow-up tests about their attitude, their vision, their purpose, and just how they view themselves. And then next thing you know, the superintendent is asking me to be the government relations person that lobbies for the school system. So uh, I functioned in that capacity for 25 years before I retired. So it's, it's a movement in that particular direction. When I retired from the school system, I was asked to consider uh, running for school board. So I ran for school board, I was elected school board. Then I was elected vice president, then I was elected president of school board. And uh, those things happened successively in three years. And again, it gave us a great opportunity to work. And those experiences in working with diverse people in the community uh, having won the uh, National Education Association's award for human relations by pulling uh, the teachers union, the community, the administration, and the board all together to pass the largest levy in the state of Ohio still for record for teacher salaries, in which we gave teachers a 9.5% salary increase the first year of a, of a three-year contract. Absolutely. Much deserved. Yeah. So those type of things, I guess, put me in a position to I guess maybe be um, identified, recognized by colleagues and those who are uh, observing me in terms of working from the heart and the head to improve the quality of life for others. Absolutely. So, and and now you're the mayor, and yes. uh, and that's a relatively new job for you. So, tell us what your vision is for Dayton. Tell us what the future looks like. Well, it's bright. It's bright. You know, I, I say that we, we've done some great things, uh, having been on the commission for eight years, uh, working to, to um, improve the quality of life again. As I say, when you read my bio, uh, improve the quality of life for citizens of Dayton through education. And so education doesn't stop. It's, uh, it's, it's something that we sometimes uh, categorize just for young people. But we also understand that as adults, we're always learning how to do better, how to be better. Absolutely. In terms of using our skills to improve the quality of life for self as well as others. So the aspect, uh, as I look at uh, as America, someone asked me, so why are you so concerned, so interested in education? And I said, well, the day after graduation from high school, if a young person is not going to the military, if they're not going to college, and if they do not have a, a job right there in front of them, they are now a, a challenge for the community. So they're either in a position where they're not uh, gainfully employed, so they're not able to support themselves, their, their priorities, their issues. Uh, they may have um, other issues that may, may cause them to drain some of our social resources. Uh, they don't have uh, a job that gives them uh, what you call maybe extra expendable money, so they're not in a position to... A comfortable income to be you know, comfortable, to be uh, in a position to make donations, or make other type of contributions, even with their physical self. Right. Because again, we're expending some of the social services for those who are challenged, and that drains you know, the community in terms of what we're trying to do with them from that perspective. The other key issue is that as we raise the medium income in our city, which we have done over the last eight years, from $28,000 to $34,500, which is a major, major increase as far as uh, where we are. Clearly, it's not where we want to be, but it shows a market improvement in terms of where we've been. So when we see those things happening, it gives more and more citizens a, a, a base income to have expendable dollars that they can use to take care of themselves, their family, to buy goods and services. And that is one of the major reasons why a company will come to Dayton or stay in Dayton. Absolutely. So it causes us to grow. That That's one of the major um, contributors to any community. That's one of the things right. that actually re, uh, re, um, recruits and retains 
its citizens yep. is education, education, healthcare, uh, those things that make Recreation. a community strong. Yep. Uh, and education is probably the number one priority in most communities, or should be. Um, and you know that you've made that your your life's career. But you know you're also a veteran, and I know you're very dedicated to veterans mm -hmm. and this veteran-centric community. Yeah. Um, you were telling me a little bit before about um, how, how you guys are planning on uh, doing things with uh, the veteran community here in Dayton. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, each year since I've been on the commission, uh, each of the commissioners always uh, gives a prayer. Uh, I'm not sure if it's by rotation or the fact that they knew that I was a vet that I had something special to say. So I always had the opportunity um, to uh, do a special prayer for veterans. And uh, it's something that um, I, I sometimes get teary-eyed because you read a poem, you're talking about some of the things that they did. Um, I end sometimes by saying these individuals many times laid their lives on the line you know, for our country, for our Constitution, and sometimes they were not able to pick their lives back up. Uh, that's why we support so many of them from a memorial perspective. And uh, it, it's always a blessing to be able to see the smiles of appreciation on those employees who are veterans of the city of Dayton. And I ask them to stand, be recognized, sometimes come forward, um, tell uh, when they were in, uh, what uh, maybe what rank they had, uh, and what did they do when they were in. You know, just, just briefly, just again, to let them know that we appreciate their service. Absolutely. And, you know, like we had established already, you know, you're a veteran, an Air Force veteran. Um, and, and I don't think everyone in the community knows that you're a veteran, let alone a ve uh, veteran of Vietnam. Mm -hmm. uh, tell us a little bit first about why you entered the Air Force and your experience in the Air Force and then your experience in Vietnam. Well, you know, the, uh, the aspect of uh, first joining, because uh, I was very uh, gifted in the area of graphic arts and photo, uh, photography, photography as well, and I wanted to be in printing. And uh, I saw that as a vehicle to, to further that particular career, uh, uh, as well as having uh, some teachers and some, some um, scout leaders who were veterans. And I liked the way they carried themselves. You know, I also was a newspaper boy for eight years in the community uh, that I lived in when I was in Jefferson Township. And at least four of the guys that, uh, customers that I had, were veterans, and I often talk with them a lot as I carry my papers. So I, I, I garnered a tremendous amount of respect for those individuals in terms of why they joined. So uh, joining the service, uh, basic training, I had strong scout leaders, so basic training was, was uh, uh, probably more fun than it was anything else in terms of a challenge. Not and, a culture shock for you, huh? No, not, not a culture shock at all. A guy by the name Mr. Diggs was our scout leader. Uh, he would take us camping, you know, every, um, seemed like every three or four months. And uh, we also did some uh, some work with the, with the rifles, the 410 over and under, the 22s, you know, shotguns. And so, again, even going into um, the, the rifle range, instead of when I was in the military, that was sort of easy. Then when I decided to go to Vietnam, <laughs> uh Volunteering to go to Vietnam was a, was a bigger challenge. Um, of course, in the early 60s, uh, we were experiencing some things uh, relative to racism and understanding what was happening from that perspective. My solution for myself was to show America how much I care for America and wanting to go to Vietnam to demonstrate my love for country, my fight for the Constitution, so that when I came back, I would be treated differently. I'd be treated in a way that I feel everyone should be treated, regardless as to my color, regardless as to anything else, you know, from that perspective. And um, uh, that um, uh, was an experience that uh, is sometimes painful to, to reflect on, but it was something that, again, I felt I, I needed to do. Uh, there, I moved into an area in terms of uh, some security work, some uh, rescue work, some recon work, uh, different things with the rescue squad, the 604th Air Commando Squadron, doing things with them to support a set of experimental work that they were doing with uh, some Cessna aircraft. 
So again, so coming back though, the shocker was that America still had not um, demonstrated how they wanted to care for people of all colors and all races. The additional problem that we had is that America did not recognize the Vietnam War as a, uh, a war of defense of the nation, of defense of the country. And it was just, I would say, probably like in the last 15 years that uh, we've had this country, this nation, begin to recognize and to appreciate Vietnam vets. Well, I was going to ask, you know, you you said that you went uh, partially into the military and, and served in Vietnam for that that uh, social equality recognition, uh, and you came back in Vietnam veterans themselves did not get recognized right. and and what a heartache that had to be uh, but um, but have have you seen great strides in the in the military and and society as a whole or do you find those those uh, barriers and those challenges still there you know it, it's it's sort of gone up and down I, I think um, uh, uh, fortunately we saw um, some some major attempts at doing those things uh, not just in the military because, of course, it's more strict in terms of following rules, regulations, et cetera. So it's a little bit more, um, I guess, more, uh, I should say, not more easy, but easier when you're following different commands. So even though your heart may not change, your head may say, here's what you got to do from a a discipline perspective. In the nation itself, while we have gone through a lot of issues dealing with, um, um, gosh, the DSEG mandates, uh, uh, affirmative action mandates, uh, seeing certain progress that's been made, seeing type of situations with the uh, redlining that has been done in different cities here in Dayton, for example, uh, of how companies, banks refuse to lend money to certain parts of the city, how uh, those who are African Americans uh, did not get a fair shake when it came to borrowing money when it came to buying a house, buying a car, or jobs even, uh, being the last to be hired and the first to be fired. So all those challenges, you know, still resonate throughout my head. And even though we've made some progress in certain areas, it's unfortunate sometimes now we see America maybe moving back in the wrong direction when it comes to those type of situations. Right. So right. so it's been sort of a, a mixed bag with regards to that. Uh, we still have way too many uh, people of color who are not uh, in a situation where they're getting uh, their share of the American dream. Prior to going into the military, uh, one of the things as far as in doing some of our back research, and that was that you were a baseball player. Right. Yes. An athlete. So yep. that made that transition into boot camp easy for you. Right. Right. You know, and even be, before going to Vietnam, when I was stationed in New Jersey, uh, I mean, seriously, I, I was like on the honor guard drill team, uh, the base softball team, the squadron softball team, you know, the squadron basketball team. And so it was like and then the um, the the entertainment group, you know, the in the in the special group that did the entertainment. I played with another little band that traveled a little bit in the area around New Jersey to play. And, um, I mean, seriously, I really enjoyed doing uh, that type of work. And the the main function I had when I was in New Jersey was in personnel and security. I never did get into the position of being in graphics and uh, in printing and, uh, and photography, which is what I, what I wanted. But I was more so in the administrative ranks and, um, and security clearances to deal with messaging, going to different parts of the, of the nation, different bases, and sort of like being second in control and uh, in charge of that particular office, which it made it which made it easier when I had to schedule time to go play softball, <laughs> when I had to schedule time to go play basketball, and, and getting released from the office uh, half day every Wednesday. Thursday uh, and Friday 
because the base commander wanted me on the softball team, the right. baseball team. So it's like. And if you had become a photographer or a public affairs person, you would have been covering the baseball <laughs> game as right. opposed to playing the baseball right. game. So right. it, it worked out to your advantage it, there. It worked out well. So, yes, we're going to take another quick break here. Okay. Um, when we come back, we're going to hear more from our very special guest, Mr. Or, excuse me, Mayor Jeffrey Mims. Okay. Hope. Where are you hiding? I search for you in the seconds, the minutes of each and every day. Hear me as I call out to you. Take my hand. Lift me up as I lift up others. Welcome me home, father, mother, sister, brother, son, daughter. Hear us now. Alone we stood, divided we fell. No longer. Now we choose to make the connection. Our new mission lies within. Visit maketheconnection.net to learn more. I never needed the VA for anything until I found it difficult on my own. It was getting hard to take care of myself. Then I had a fall, which made it impossible. That's when the Dayton VA stepped up to the plate. I've had the best care anyone could ask for at the Community Living Center. Don't wait another day to see how the VA may help you. I'm a vet, and it's my VA. Make it your VA today. To enroll, call 937-268-6511, extension 5336, or visit dayton.va.gov. And we're back with Dayton Mayor Jeffrey Mims. Mayor, before we went to break, uh, we were talking about far as some of your adventures in the military right there, uh, along with mentoring for some of the young airmen who also came in, and helping veterans here in the community. You also do quite a bit far as with a lot of our future leaders uh, youth yeah. far as with mentoring tell us something about that well you know it's, it's been a, a real pleasure to give back and when you follow the lead uh, like I mentioned some of the guys that I had is my uh, scout leaders uh, coaches etc who um, always emphasize working with our young people almost as if, if we were their own and so uh, that sort of have has stuck with me in terms of uh, being a coach. You know, when I was a teacher and I was coaching soccer for boys and track for girls. And then I also got involved with the organization called Jack and Jill of America. And uh, that organization started in 68 while I was in the military, a program of mentoring black male seniors in area high schools. Uh, It's fortunate that one of the, the two of the guys who started that program, Walker Williams and Ted Reese, were two of my newspaper customers that had mentored me as I went through doing what I was doing when I was carrying the newspaper. So in, in 1976, uh, they had a large group of young men, and somehow you know, um, my wife had joined that organization, and they were looking for someone to help the guys mentor those 76 guys that they had in that program. And so uh, my name was mentioned. And they said, oh, yeah, we know him. He, he was our paper boy way, way back, you know, seemed like 100 years ago. And, and so they called me and asked me to help out. Now, I really had no clue about the longevity of that program. And I started out helping uh, young men learn how to march, left flank, right flank, you know, rear march, you know, oblique march, column left, column right, the whole deal. So learning and teaching those things, which I also had experience in, in terms of being in the band as well, but certainly in the military, doing all that type of work. And so I found a niche in terms of working with them in that space, but I still thought it was just like a, a one or two month time frame, every Wednesday evening and every Saturday morning for four months that they did that work with them, that this was just a one-time deal. And so, oh no, so the next year, they asked me to do it again, and then the next year, then the next year, and then they retired, and then I looked around, and I was the head person. So <laughs> 45 years later, <laughs> yeah, I'm still mentoring those young men uh, from area high schools in Jack and Jill Bortillion. That's great. Which um, 
gives them opportunity to also get scholarships. Uh, Sinclair, um, I almost always want to call Sinclair University, but the Sinclair, Sinclair Community College and President uh, Steve Johnson gives me anywhere from five to ten scholarships a year, two-year free scholarships for those young men if they need one. So that if they don't have a scholarship at another university, then uh, they're comfortable in terms of receiving a scholarship from Sinclair. So, again, that organization um, had been doing that, again, since 1968. It's the longest organization that has served young African-American men in the mentoring program uh, in the United States. And so I'm really proud of that organization. I'm proud of being associated with them. And um, the work continues as we're working to line up young men now starting in the program. And that, that leads me to my next question for you, Mayor, and that is, with your, uh, with your service, what are some of the skills that you've learned in, during your service that transferred over to where you are now? And what are, it's a twofold question. Yeah. <laughs> Let me take that. Mm-hmm. And the other one is, after that, is what would you... Uh, what advice would you give a young person far as that's on the fence, how the military could serve them? And well, you know, in, in so many ways, um, <clears throat> discipline, first of all. Um, being experienced in doing a variety of things that you find out in some cases that you didn't know you could do. You know, okay. In terms of being able to understand what discipline really is, it's not just doing something because someone told you to do it but you're actually doing some things that you know are the things to do whether someone tells you or not. And okay. so understanding how they begin to develop that strong sense of self-discipline in that process. Uh, and so when you look at certain skills like coming to, um, if you say work, coming to work on time every day with the right attitude, uh, prepared, understanding how to lead, how to follow, when to lead, when to follow, how to identify and resolve conflict at its lowest level, and how to work towards a common goal with a variety of groups and, and individuals. Those are uh, skills that you learn in a variety of ways as young people, but they're also the skills that each and every employer wants for older people. So if you go on your job site and you have those skills, then you wind up being a, a very marketable, sought-after individual to work in, in any space that, that you're coming to work in. You know, in uh, 2018, I was fortunate enough to take uh, a couple of young men to meet President Obama in the uh, Men of Color program in Oakland, California. And he stressed the aspect of what we call four A's, um, attendance, attitude, activities, all equal achievement. And when you when you focus around those type of uh, components, again, it just puts you in a space where you're more valuable to self, you're more valuable to others, and again, you're extremely marketable from that perspective. Okay. Now, we're going to transition into the VA. Okay. Because we want to optimize your time, but we know you're very busy running the city right here. Yeah. So not a problem. This this is a part of that, okay. you know, because again, not only is it, um, uh, I think, interesting for me and hopefully for those who will hear this, but I will also say that how much the VA does for this community, and so the partnership that we have with the VA, and the benefits that are afforded to members of this community because they're clearly one of our largest employers that we have in this space as well. So it's all very beneficial and very much necessary. Okay. So yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on my agenda for the day. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and vice versa, I hope. <laughs> right. Yes, sir. So uh, how did you come about uh, joining or finding out about the VA? Well, you know, I, I sort of grew up seeing it. Okay. okay. You know, um, uh, right there on 3rd Street. And then uh, once, once I, my parents moved to Jefferson Township when I was in the fifth grade. Okay. And then running past that space there because it goes out to Liscombe Road. You know, you're right there on 3rd, you're right there on Gettysburg. I mean, you're, you're right there on Germantown. So you take up a bunch of space. So you're not, you're, it's, it's not like, you know, we don't know you're here. All right. 
And uh, what, more than 150 years, and I was there for 150 years celebration uh, a year or so ago. And it, it, it again, is a very, very valuable uh, component as far as uh, our, not only our nation, but certainly the city. Okay. You know, you say it's a, it's a big space, and it's hard for everyone to miss, but you'd be surprised how many times we go out there and people go like, well, we know there's this thing out there, but we don't know what it is. Even even among the veteran community, especially those who didn't yeah. grow up here, they might have relocated here, might have uh, retired out of Wright Pad, or, or uh, decided to, to move to the greater Dayton area mm-hmm. because we serve an 18-county catchment surrounding the metropolitan community. Uh, but uh, it, it is kind of amazing that people do not know that this campus is, is historic and that it's been mm-hmm. around for more than 150 years and, and the significance of this particular campus. Um, and that's one of the challenges. We, we, you know, we tell people about you need to take advantage of your benefits. You need to go out and enroll with the VA uh, and, and get through the gate, not just past the gate. Yeah. And um, find out what uh, what care is available to you. When you uh, started going to the VA, did you did you start going to the VA right after you came back after Vietnam, or or did you wait? When did you actually start using the VA? You know, it's it's very unfortunate. Um, yeah, I, well, first of all, it's fortunate. I've been blessed with good health, and, and so the the time that I was working, um, I probably had. Perfect attendance since 1976 in till 2014 when I had a stroke. And so that was the first time that I went to the VA. And, and first time that I actually had an issue other than going for one checkup because mm-hmm. they indicated that I may be able to get some uh, financial assistance because I had maybe some slight hearing issues. Right, you know, right. Uh, from being in the Vietnam situation. Uh, we're still not sure about what other benefits that I may be able to get if I would make the time right. to go there and then go through some additional, um, you know, uh, maybe uh, analysis, uh, you know. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, so, you know, during the break, we, they, they were talking about the uh, PACT Act, which uh, was yeah. uh, recently signed into law back mm-hmm. in August. and um, Overdue. Much overdue, yep. and it and it impacts Vietnam veterans such as yourself. Um, a lot of people who um, said, "Well, I've applied for VA healthcare before. I was denied because I made too much money, or that I couldn't find a service-connected disability." And and that that game has changed. It's changed big time because now we have uh, a list of service uh, windows. Uh, if you served in Korea in Vietnam, in post 9-11, in these different uh, operations and and theaters, uh, and you have a presumptive condition. You no longer have to actually prove that your service-connected disability is connected with the service. It's presumed automatically that if you have this this issue that it's connected to your service, uh, as long as you served within those windows and those theaters of operation. And so, so folks like you, you know, you said we we need to we need to see if you can expand your healthcare because that's a, that's a big thing. There might be presumptive conditions. I think diabetes is one of those uh, for Vietnam veterans. And, uh, yes, it is. And some mm-hmm. other very common um, ailments that people don't have um, a way of saying, well, I, I can connect that, but now it's presumed, and it gives you an increase in your disability rating and increase in your benefits and so forth. So we're, we're really excited about telling everyone about this and really encouraging everyone, including yourself. We're going to go ahead and, okay. and get you registered uh, for uh, the PACT Act uh, and get, get a claim in. And, and anyone can do that. It's really simple. All you have to go to, uh, the, to the website and register. It's about a 15-minute process. Go to va.gov slash PACT, and you'll see all the information of uh, who's eligible through the PACT Act and, and why they're eligible and a, and a place to file a claim. And it's a uh, it's it's fantastic okay. news for so many. It's impacting yeah. six million veterans. They say. Yeah. We would definitely have checked it out. Make sure we do that today. How's that? Okay. Yeah. Know, I, I think I think one of the, one of the things one of the reasons why I I, I didn't go um, earlier because it seemed like I had no no challenges no issues. Uh, again, like I said, 
having uh, extremely good health for uh, a long period of time, I always sort of felt that that was for those who were injured, for those who did have a greater need. And so I didn't want the, the VA or the government to spend extra money on me when I didn't really need it. So um, uh, those things have changed now. Yeah. I understand that the more of us who are involved, the better it makes it for those Absolutely. Involved. Yeah, so, we, we uh, yes, receive sir. funding yes, for every enrolled veteran. Yep. So if you're not enrolled uh, and you're not enrolled because you feel like you're taking something away, actually you're taking something away from your fellow veterans if you're not, not. enrolled. So, again, that's another reason we tell yeah. everyone to get out and enroll. Highly encourage you to do so. Okay. So tell us, if you were going to give some advice to a fellow veteran about the VA, um, what would you say to them? Yeah, I'd say, first of all, get enrolled in the PACT Act. Okay, so yeah. which is which I'm, um, I'm going to do myself. So no, that that would be probably one of the first things that I, I would do. And I also say um, uh, maybe stop by, take advantage of some of the situations that you have there. Instead, you have a store in in front for individuals who buy uh, paraphernalia that's associated with maybe their time in the military, uh, be it hats and other pins and things that may be uh, difficult, if not impossible, to find someplace else. Uh, I know I wind up sometimes ordering, uh, sometimes online, uh, a, a sweatshirt or, or, or a jacket or a Vietnam hat because those of us who have served, you know, we find it very uh, honorable, especially right now, to wear a hat that denotes the service. Right. Uh, whether you're in the Korean War, the Vietnam War, a few now still uh, World War II vets who uh, proudly wear um, their, their paraphernalia. And, and justifiably so. You know, I never really thought about it before, but that's probably one of the other unique things about the Dayton VA. We actually have uh, quite a few people who come in as vendors uh, in the main lobby area, and and you don't get that in any other hospital uh, where there's okay. somebody that's bringing, uh, just like you say, there's, there's different memorabilia and, and um, regalia and so forth that people can uh, purchase that they're probably not going to find just anywhere else. And, and more so, it's a veteran-centric right. as far as the hospital there as well. Right. But that's that's one of the things about going out of the Dayton VA is it's, it's like coming home for veterans. It's that yeah. place where they uh, – it, it's like no other place they can go to because where else can you go to to feel that that sense of belonging and brotherhood yeah. and sisterhood. Yeah. You know, and I, I've been there for certain um, PR events. And every time I go in that building, there's a feeling of welcomeness, if you will, that we get. There's always someone that I know, you know, <laughs> for more than decades, whether it's someone that's working or someone that's going in and out for services. And uh, it's, it's always a welcoming space to be in. So the my hat goes off, I should say, to those who have made that situation, that environment, uh, to be more welcoming, if you will, for those who are coming in the door and going out. So. You know, that's a good thing. I'll, I'll make sure, like I said, we take care of that today. Absolutely. And then I get out there again as soon as I can. Mayor, thank you so much for sharing time today. You've sent, yeah. uh, shared some great stories, some great information. Uh, you know, we love hearing stories from all our veterans in the area, but I uh, really want to thank you for coming out today and sharing your experience with the Dayton VA. Okay. No, and I enjoyed this tremendously. You know, so thank you guys a lot. Uh, and it's... Um, I mean, it's always special. Sometimes you go back through memory lane and you sort of forget some things you've been involved in and things you've done. And uh, as you begin to connect the dots, it sort of all falls in place. So thank you again. All right. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, and thank you for your service as well. Okay. Thank you again. Appreciate it. I was in the military. I didn't know that when I left, I was eligible for health care through the VA. I thought you had to be disabled or been wounded. Another vet told me I should check it out. Now, I have the care I need at the Dayton VA. Don't wait another day to see how the VA may help you. I'm a vet, and it's my VA. Make it your VA today. Call 937-268-6511, extension 2159, to enroll, or visit dayton.va.gov. The Dayton VA would like to remind everyone that mindful eating is a strategy that helps you be present with your food and increase enjoyment at meals. It also helps to avoid that stuffed feeling that can accompany meals. There are a few principles to mindful eating. First, observe. 
A hungry fullness scale, such as the American Diabetes Association Hunger Rating Scale, can be a great tool to get in touch with your hunger. Evaluate your hunger level before eating by noticing how you feel. Do you feel your stomach rumbling? Have low energy? Or does your stomach feel empty? These are signs your hunger level is high going into the meal. If you tend to eat quickly, put down your utensils, maybe take a drink of water, and then evaluate your level of fullness. Ask yourself if you are still hungry. Does the food still taste good as it did at the beginning of the meal? Take time to notice your fullness after eating. Ideally, you want to stop eating once you feel satisfied, but not over full. How you feel after eating should signal the end of your meal instead of the visual cue of an empty plate. Second, savor. Enjoy your food and notice the colors, texture, flavors, and smell. Slowing down during these meals helps you to savor each bite to the fullest. Third, be in the moment. Sit down at the table and be present with your food. Too often we eat without really noticing how much or what we are eating. Third, limit judgment. Food was meant to be enjoyed, and guilt has no place at the table. All foods can fit into a healthy plan for diabetes. The holidays shouldn't be the only time you get to eat food you really truly enjoy. The VA Healthy Teaching Kitchen is a great way to learn more about meal planning and preparing delicious foods tailored to support you in your diabetes management. To learn more about this program, visit www.dayton.va.gov or call 937-268-6511. I was in the military and I didn't know that when I left, I was eligible for health care through the VA. I thought you had to be disabled or have been wounded. Another vet told me I should check it out. Now I have the care I need at the Dayton VA. Don't wait another day to see how the VA may help you. I'm a vet, and it's my VA. Make it your VA today. To enroll, call 937-268-6511, extension 5336, or visit dayton.va.gov. We want to say thanks again to our special guests for taking time today to share their story. We truly enjoy hearing stories from veterans from across the region and learning more about how they found care through the Dayton VA Medical Center. And as always, we want to thank our listeners for joining us and remind them if they are a veteran and are not enrolled, to enroll with the Veterans Health Administration to receive health care benefits through the Dayton VA Medical Center. It's easy and it doesn't cost a thing. You just need to be a veteran. The simplest way to start enrollment is to call our Enrollment and Eligibility Office at 937-268-6511, extension 4105. They can schedule an appointment for you to come to the Dayton campus or help make an appointment at one of the surrounding community-based outpatient clinics located at Springfield, Richmond, Lima, and Middletown. Again, that number is 937-268-6511, extension 4105. Veterans may also enroll by visiting www.choose.va.gov slash health. While there, you can choose from applying online or by phone or by mail. It's just that simple, really. As I said before, it doesn't cost a thing to apply. So what are you waiting for? Call us today. Or if you know of a veteran who is not enrolled, have them call to start taking advantage of this benefit. If you're a veteran, it's your VA. Sign up today. Join us again for another episode of My VA Dayton with the Dayton VA Medical Center. Our episodes drop the 1st and 15th of each month. I'm Scott Lease with your co-host, Greg Tucker. Thanks again for listening to My VA Dayton.